0: Welcome to Chomping Down the Dietetic Exam, where I, Dietitian Faraz, and you, an awesome person, join forces to chomp down dietetic concepts into digestible bites, and provide you with practice questions, rationales, and tips to conquer your dietetic exam, and you will conquer it, because you are smart, you are skilled, and you got this. Hit it! (music) Thank you for tuning in. Hope you're doing well and staying safe. And welcome to the one-year anniversary episode of the podcast. It's been a very busy time. I've been working at down on my dissertation. My wife and I are expecting our baby girl to be born at literally any moment now. And I've had the honor of giving presentations for passing the exam to various institutions in the past month. So I want to give a shout out to the California Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, Iowa State University, and Indiana University of Pennsylvania for inviting me to present strategies on passing the exam. It was a fantastic experience. Before diving into the topics for today's episode, which will consist of active versus passive transport, conduction, and osteomalacia. I got some really, really exciting news I gotta share with you. So over the years, I've had a lot of podcast listeners and students ask me to develop a program that covers everything you need to know about the RD exam. Well, guess what? That's happened. I've developed a program that's really focused on visual learning, and this program consists of 17 video lectures that cover all four domains and every topic that's relevant to the RD exam. These topics are covered with full explanations, tons of mnemonics, illustrations, animations, tables... And each video lecture also has a pre- and post-test and a super-duper colorful set of corresponding notes. This full program is now available on our website at chompedowndietetics.com. Make sure to check out the program's sneak peek video on the website's homepage, and feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. With that being said, let's get into it. How are water-soluble nutrients such as vitamin C absorbed? A. Simple diffusion. B. Active Transport C. Sodium-Potassium Pump D. Passive Diffusion So, to answer this question, we're going to be traveling down to the cellular level and do a very basic review of what goes on there. Specifically, we're going to go down to the cell membrane, which, as you know, is basically a gate that lets some stuff into the cell while keeping other stuff out of the cell, a.k.a. it's semi-permeable. We're interested in what's going on in the cell, but more specifically, how is it going in the cell? There's two main ways that stuff is transported into the cell, and they're referred to as passive transport and active transport. We can distinguish between these two types of transport systems based on two factors. The first is energy, the second is concentration gradient. First, we have to distinguish whether energy is required to move substances into the cell. Passive transport requires no energy to move substances. Active transport does require energy to move substances. Second, the concentration gradient. Now, the concentration gradient is the difference in concentration between two areas. I like to think of this as being at a house party pre-COVID. You're there in the living room, the party's going on, and there's a bunch of people there as well. Because there's so many people in the living room, everyone has clumped together, and there isn't much space to move around. The amount, aka concentration, of people in the living room is high. Sometimes, though, being at a party can get tiring, and you need a break from all these people. I mean, how many rounds of karaoke can you really do before you reach your limit, right? So you decide to go into another room. Let's just say it's one of the bedrooms in the same house where there aren't as many people and there's more space to move around. So there's just a small amount of people basically touring this room and quietly judging it. Now the concentration of people in this bedroom is low, so you're going from the living room with a bunch of people there to this bedroom with few people there. This is an example of going down a concentration gradient. Going down a concentration gradient with regards to the cellular level means a particle goes from an area of high concentration to an area of low concentration. If we were to leave the bedroom and go back into the living room, we'd be going up a concentration gradient since we're going from an area of low concentration of people which is the bedroom, to an area of high concentration of people, which is the living room. Going back to passive and active transport, in passive transport, substances move down or along their concentration gradient. In active transport, substances move up or against the concentration gradient. Substances naturally want to move down. Their concentration gradient because it requires no energy and it achieves entropy. In active transport, however, substances move up or against the concentration gradient. And that takes energy because you're going from an area of low concentration to high concentration. Think of it in terms of you being on the top of a hill and you're about to roll down the hill. You're at a high spot on top of the hill and you want to roll down to a low spot on the ground. Rolling down a hill won't take much energy. Compare this to starting off at the low spot on the ground and wanting to go up the hill. That will require a lot of energy. A way to remember the difference between active and passive transport is for active transport, remember the phrase, lower to higher, man, I'm tired. Because you'd have to expend energy to go from lower to higher, right? So it would make you tired. Now, the two types of passive transport we'll discuss is simple diffusion and passive diffusion. But one thing to keep in mind is that passive transport is the umbrella term, and simple and passive diffusion are both types of passive transport. Please note that facilitated diffusion is also known as passive diffusion, and for the purposes of the exam, they're referring to the same process. Different sources use different terminology with regards to types of diffusion and what substances use which types of transport. I've seen conflicting info in different sources, but I will be using the info that I have seen most often cited in practice and literature and what I've been taught. Simple diffusion is well named because it's super simple. It's just the movement of substances from high concentration to low concentration without any help. No energy, no carrier, nothing extra is needed. Substances like oxygen, for example, can slip into the cell without having to do anything extra. Oxygen uses simple diffusion. Passive diffusion, on the other hand, involves more help for the substance to cross over into the cell. Specifically, passive diffusion refers to the movement of substances from an area of high concentration to an area of low concentration using a carrier or a channel from the cell membrane. There's still no energy required and that's why it's still considered passive transport. Substances just have extra help from a carrier or channel to carry them safely across. Water soluble nutrients are considered to be an example of substances that use passive diffusion. I like to remember this using soccer terminology. When you pass the ball to a teammate and they take it all the way to the goal, In passive diffusion, the molecule is passing the responsibility to a carrier or a channel who will take both of them to the goal of crossing into the cell membrane. Let's move on to active transport. So active transport needs energy, specifically ATP, to move substances across a cell membrane because In this type of transport, substances move up or against the concentration gradient from an area of low concentration to an area of high concentration. Most nutrients are absorbed through active transport, such as glucose. An example of active transport is the sodium-potassium pump. This pump transports sodium and potassium ions across the cell membrane in a ratio of three sodium ions out, For every two potassium ions brought in. Since the inside of the cell is more concentrated with potassium than the outside of the cell, the sodium-potassium pump is pumping against the concentration gradient by pumping potassium from an area of low concentration, a.k.a. outside the cell, to an area of high concentration, a.k.a. inside the cell. With that being said... Let's revisit our appetizer question. How are water-soluble nutrients, such as vitamin C, absorbed? A. Simple diffusion B. Active transport C. Sodium-potassium pump D. Passive diffusion So, simple diffusion is the movement of substances from an area of high concentration to low concentration, without any help, and it involves substances like oxygen, so we can eliminate this answer choice, A. Active transport, B, needs ATP to move substances across a cell membrane from an area of low concentration to an area of high concentration. Nutrients absorbed through active transport include substances like glucose, and an example of active transport is the sodium-potassium pump. So we can eliminate these answer choices as well, both B and C. That leaves us with D, passive diffusion, which refers to the movement of substances from an area of high concentration to an area of low concentration using a carrier or a channel from the cell membrane and includes substances like water-soluble nutrients. Thus, it is the correct answer. Alright, let's move on to our next appetizer question. Here we go. Which of the following would not be considered a good heat conductor? A. Copper B. Silver C. Aluminum D. Glass So, with this topic, we're talking about heat transfer. In conduction, vibrating particles transfer energy to neighboring particles. So, for example, as a piece of material is heated, one particle of the material gets heated so much that it starts vibrating. Due to the vibrating, the particle starts to collide with the neighbor particles, which then also get heated and also start to vibrate. This process repeats until heat is spread out evenly. This is how conduction works. And materials like copper, aluminum, silver are all considered to be good conductors of heat. The reason why conduction happens so well With these materials is because the particles in these materials are held together very closely, which means more collisions, which means more heat can spread quickly. In addition, these materials also have free electrons, which are capable of moving back and forth and contributing to the heating process by activating particles that haven't yet collided with the neighboring vibrating particles. These properties combined allow heat to flow easily. Materials like glass, on the other hand, are considered to be poor conductors of heat. This is because their structures don't have particles packed in nearly as tightly as the aforementioned materials. So, that process we refer to with one particle colliding with another and then another and so forth is much more difficult because particles are more spread out in materials like glass. In addition, materials like glass have their electrons tightly bound as opposed to free like in copper, for example. So those electrons can't go around and help the heat spread. Thus, Poor conductors of heat, such as glass, do not allow heat to flow through them easily. With that being said, let's revisit our question. Which of the following would not be considered a good heat conductor? A. Copper B. Silver C. Aluminum D. Glass So, we know A, B, and C are all considered to be good heat conductors due to their structure of having particles held together closely and having free electrons, being able to roam around and have that space to do what they do. But glass is the opposite because its particles are way more spread out and its electrons are tightly bound, so they can't move around. Thus, D, glass, is the correct answer. All right, let's go on to our next appetizer question. Osteomalacia is primarily characterized by which of the following? A. Excessive bone growth. B. Compromised bone mineralization. C. Excessive mineralization. D. All of the above. So with osteomalacia, the bone's chemical composition is abnormal because the process of bone mineralization is compromised. So, bone mineralization is a part of bone building, which is accomplished by osteoblasts. They build something called an osteoid, which is basically like a foundation to build bones on. In order to keep this foundation strong, osteoblasts deposit calcium and phosphate into the osteoid in a process called mineralization, which makes sense because they're minerals. So as a result, bones are filled with calcium and phosphate. They're like reservoirs of calcium and phosphate. Now, both bone and blood calcium and phosphate levels are regulated by vitamin D. So if you have a vitamin D deficiency, you're going to have less calcium and phosphate to contribute to the bone mineralization process we just talked about. Now, with specific regards to calcium, if you have a vitamin D deficiency, you're going to have less calcium circulating in the blood, right? So you'll need to extract calcium from somewhere to reestablish normal levels, right? Yeah. So you end up mobilizing calcium from bones to try to reestablish the calcium levels in the blood. This leads to even less calcium being available for bone mineralization. And essentially, this process is just trying to clean up the mess that a vitamin deficiency has created. In addition, with specific regards to phosphate, if there is a deficiency of vitamin D, then there will be less absorption of phosphate in the intestines. So less absorption of phosphate in the intestines making it so there is less phosphate available for the bone mineralization process. So, we'll end up with having reduced calcium and reduced phosphate in the bones. So, our normal process of building bones so that they're sturdy and, and long-lasting is now compromised. And instead, we're going to have a loss of bone density leading to weakened soft bones. In fact, the term osteomalacia specifically means soft bones. These softened bones can make a person more likely to suffer fractures. Note, you can have soft bones in rickets as well, but that is a condition specifically associated with children, and in osteomalacia, it is a condition associated with adults. From a medical nutrition therapy perspective, will often recommend supplementation with vitamin D or calcium. With that being said, let's get back to our appetizer question. Osteomalacia is primarily characterized by which of the following? A. Excessive bone growth. B. Compromised bone mineralization. C. Excessive mineralization. D. All the above. So let's start with A, excessive bone growth. Naturally, this wouldn't be an issue at all because the main issue with osteomalacia is the compromise of bone mineralization. So if that's compromised, you're not going to be having an an abundance of bone. So we can eliminate A as an answer and B, compromised bone mineralization. Yes, that definitely seems like the correct answer because that's exactly what osteomalacia is, but it is always best practice to review all the answer choices. This is something that I always stress when working with students that even though you see an answer when you're answering a question and you automatically think, oh, yeah, that's the one still look at all the answers because it could just be a trick where the best answer seems like it's already there, but then there's an even better answer. So let's keep going just to be safe and practice that. C, excessive mineralization. Again, the issue with osteomalacia is that you're not being able to really mineralize very well. So an excessive mineralization process is out of the question. We could eliminate that. And D, all the above, we already eliminated A and C, so this clearly can't be the answer. Thus, we are left with B, compromised bone mineralization, and that is exactly what's happening because we have a vitamin D deficiency, which is leading to a decrease of calcium and phosphate being able to contribute to bone mineralization. Therefore, B is the correct answer. All right, that's a wrap for today's episode. Remember to check us out on ChompDownDietetics.com where we have our program that covers all relevant topics on the RD exam with video lectures and colorful notes. You can also hit us up on our socials, which are listed in the episode descriptions. And this is where you can request topics and just let us know how you're doing with your exam journeys. With that being said, I will catch you later. Bye-bye.